Hello and welcome to the How Might We Sessions podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scali, as always. Now, today on the podcast, I have Poonam Dufar. She's a somatic coach, facilitator, and speaker. She's on a mission to build a culture that values healing, unity, trust, and love. All incredible things, which I think we could always do with more of. So I wanted to bring her on the podcast to talk about well-being, healing, something which maybe as we operate inside the creative and cultural industries, create clusters, shape policy, create products, services. Maybe we think about, maybe we don't. And I think as, as, as individual agents in that system, we owe ourselves and the society that we exist within to try to lean into that human third space, which is something which we talk about a lot in this episode. It's something that I think many creative practitioners and cultural practitioners, founders, individual contributors will find they're lacking in the skills and the knowledge and the time to execute some of the tools that are laid down in this episode. But I think there's incredible value in her insight. And there's a lot in there for everyone, whether you're a practitioner or not. A really interesting listen. If you've ever felt uncomfortable or unsure in decision-making processes, your job, your how those things align with your values. So there's some really deep thought in here, and I'm sure everyone will get an incredible amount from this episode with Poonam. So this is the How Might We Sessions with Poonam Dufar. thank you for coming on the podcast this is like i always think it's funny whenever i we, it goes from like the small talk to the <laughs> podcast and people actually had ken who was on recently who just went your voice changed instantly um maybe it's something about the mic i don't know that's something isn't it the object of the yeah like consolidating it in um but thank you for coming on really appreciate having you here and really interesting to dive into the subject matter which is your your focus area of your practice, but anyone who doesn't know yourself and what it is you do and specifically somatic teachings and well-being, um, please give us a little overview. Sure. Thank you so much for inviting me in and for having me here to share my practice. So somatics is essentially a path, a methodology, a way of connecting back home. So with talking therapy, we're always focusing on thinking, thoughts, processing, behaviours, whereas somatics, we are looking at the whole of a person. We're supporting somebody to actually tune inwards and connect to the senses of the body, to actually ground, to feel into the whole of their direct experience. So it's a mix of not just cognitive, just talking, and thinking, but it's also about actually feeling in to the whole of our experience. And the work that I do is I support people to really feel into what they're feeling and what they're noticing, not just through the body, but also with play and with textures and holding and feeling and noticing their experience when they're perhaps holding objects or textures. So do you think in your experience of that, is that something which has become less sort of prevalent in modern society, uh, uh, maybe an overabundance of cognitive 
processes and less um, tactile experiences? Do, do you feel that we have a deficit of that in society? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the society we live in right now is so disconnected from neck down and we are consumed and being consumed by our thoughts, by the disconnection to our bodies, to each other. And I feel like we are overly stimulated. We're living in a culture where we're constantly told, whether that's through Instagram, TikTok, shop windows, to buy more, to feel more. And there's a disconnection and there's such a devoid of spirit. The connection to earth, connection to each other and actually the connection of what is holding us together in this space. And I feel like definitely the Western modalities, the healing modalities, they separate us from the truth. They separate us from really feeling into and holding into what is happening in our whole experience rather than just staying in the cognitive. Yes, yeah, so essentially, Yes Mate is is my brand. It's not. I hate saying a brand actually. <laughs> why do you? Why, why is that? Does it? Does that feel loaded or? Because it it's not a brand to me. Mm. It feels like um, it's like a way of life. <laughs> it feels like it's more more holistic and. I'm really on a mission to help people to build a restorative healing practice that isn't just through talking, but it's actually through play, through touch, through feeling and through slowing down and to help people to recognise that they are enough exactly as they are and to start recognising and how to recognising their thought processes and, and how they're actually feeling and the circular system of actually how we show up so that what we think about creates our behaviours and our behaviours create our choices and actually the shape that we take up in the space and the the shape of, of our life. So it's not just about focusing on on thoughts, it's really focusing on how how does it feel like I was feeling a little bit nervous before coming right. into this? What is that feeling of nervousness that's sitting here on my chest? What is the nervousness... Like, what's the texture of nervousness? What's the temperature? What's the tone? Does it have a shape? Does it have a colour? And really helping people to tap into their imagination to describe to me what that feels like. Mm -hmm. Which is, some again, some questions that we rarely probably ask ourselves. And in a sense, do you think, in terms of how maybe some of the, the simplest definitions of how somatic teaching comes to pass and the tools that you use, what are the real-world examples of how you use those tools to, to help I don't know, um, who, who, are the, who, who are the most likely people to benefit, would you say, from somatics, or is it broad? Everybody. Everybody, boom. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody Total can, addressable market, <laughs> the whole world. I think everybody can, can benefit from building a practice. So in talking therapy, it is a top-down approach. We start with thinking, we start with feelings, we start with processing, whereas in somatics, it is a bottom-up approach. So we start with grounding, we start with, actually feeling the connection to the earth, feeling the unconditional support that is here. And just noticing, bringing our attention to notice what is this sensation of tension? What's the sensation of the breath? What's the sensation of my whole experience as I'm sitting here? 
So it's bringing awareness to the body, bringing awareness to texture, temperature, tone, and really beginning to settle from a place of centeredness and and groundedness because so often we're we're living in a culture which is so fast. Mm. Everything is about speeding up, moving at this speed of lightning, hit the ground running. So that a lot of the work that I do is to ultimately to help people just slow down. Slow down and start noticing and bringing in the awareness to the other senses because I feel like there's such a disconnect from the other senses that we're, we're born with and we don't actually practice using them to our benefit because we've become so we've become so numb and disconnected. Yeah, it's that sort of habitual thing which feels, I think to me, really resonates with growing up and thinking about what was valued, uh, the extrinsic scorecard. And I don't think anyone would have been really impressed by my ability to lean into all of those senses and say that's something that's one of my superpowers. Instead, the superpower is, you know, up here for thinking, down there for dancing, as my granddad used to say. And, um, you know, that thinking mind, not the feeling mind or the feeling body, isn't maybe necessarily as well regarded as it as it should. And I think it, I definitely, uh, over my life, feel that I probably lean very heavily into my sense of if it is mind and body, I feel definitely mind first, um, which can be a problem, I guess. And that's what somatics can be really helpful to to try to unpick or to understand, I guess, not about unpicking, right? Yeah, it's not about unpicking. It's about, I feel like it's about coming closer to, Mm. coming closer to parts of ourselves that we might have shielded or forgotten or just tucked away because maybe it might not have been safe. And a lot of it is about feeling, feeling safe in our body, feeling safe in connection to ourselves. And I think a lot of that emphasis on thinking and the value of thought is much more prevalent in in western ideologies if, even if you take it from a school system you know where we're taught to to value thinking over really feeling and then you know you go through life and you know you you work up through that conventional wheel that you've you've imagined and then you get to a point like I did where I was like what does it mean to be successful mm-hmm. What does success even mean? And I realise that actually thinking about this in the environment that I'm in it isn't, isn't going to give me the answers that I need. Yeah, and it's that reason and empathy balance, I guess, in a way. Or thinking about certainly as creatives, I think you empathically design intuitively, um, but you're certainly not schooled to empathically design. You're, you're schooled to reason. Um, and I think I don't like the... I say I don't like, I find uncomfortable the, the, the negotiation seemingly in that, or some people feel that we overweight empathy or, um, uh, you know, or how unpredictable that empathy can be in terms of our biases and our, our judgment and heuristics, etc. cetera. Um, we're not perfect thinkers. So of course our, our empathy can be oftentimes good in spirit and intent, but misguided in its, uh, how optimally it can be used to create something or solve a problem in the world. And I think the problems that we deal with 
now. I'm sure every society said that the problems they're dealing with now were bigger than ever before, but they do feel bigger or more, more existential or more uh, like wider in scope. But empathy is a spotlight, right? I think I think with empathy also is is presence. Mm. And I think a lot of people, because we're rushing around so much, we're not grounded when we go into team meetings. We're not grounded when right. we hit off that email. We're not grounded perhaps even when we're spending time with the people that we love and we need to be more connected with. So it's also about cultivating presence. And that's what I help my clients do is to cultivate that groundedness and that presence and be aware of how they're feeling in the moment and what is the energy that they're moving with into the next part of the day or, you know, the next part of their life. And a lot of people that I work with are very ungrounded. They might be successful in the traditional sense, but they're very, very ungrounded because they've not been taught how to build a restorative practice, which doesn't depend on validation from posting things on Instagram or validation from, from people. It really starts with, how are we feeling within ourselves right now in this moment? And have you found pat patterns in your work in terms of who seems to be more misaligned in that spectrum? Yeah, there's so there's so many patterns, so many common threads and synchronicities that are always unfolding. And a lot of people that I work with are predominantly women, women of colour. And there's a lot of common threads regardless of what sort of industries and and cultures that they come from is this experience of not feeling like they're enough feeling like they are an imposter sometimes feeling like they're a trespasser and quite often feeling quite alone you know, being around people who, again, aren't committed to the healing journey that they're perhaps on. So there's a disconnect in in these people, perhaps, who might have been, you know, friends or colleagues from a long time, but now they're on a new path. So it's also about finding community, building community, and this sense of belonging, really, with, with people who are on the same journey. In terms of this, this the concept of this podcast, it's to use the how might we framework, the design framework, to try to unpick a, a difficult issue or a complex issue, certainly. Um, and so much there in what you've said, I think, leans into our subject matter for today. But in, in conversation, actually, over, over Zoom the other day, um, jumping between meetings poorly, again, so not, not living up to the practice, um, but we said uh, th what we'd like to explore is the how might we question, how might we create room for healing in creative clusters? And something you talked about there in terms of community um, and room for kind of therapeutic healing in a community. And something which you talked about, which I'd love to hear you expand on, is this idea of the sort of human third space. Um, and that, that term third space is something that comes up quite often in conversations about creative clusters where oftentimes in quote-unquote placemaking um, shared spaces are created, but they are by nature often somewhat inclusionary and, uh, you know, they don't, they're exclusive, not by design, but oftentimes can kind of happen that way, uh, 
certainly not writ large. Some of them will be exclusive by design. But I wonder what you what you think in terms of the the sort of cognitive uh, third space that maybe isn't being tended to as much as the the real world that we tend to focus on the third space. Beautiful question. So in coaching, we, we talk about the third space as as energy, essentially. So what is the, the movement of energy that is here between you and me right now as we're having this conversation? What is this back and forth as we're sitting, as we're talking, as we're in this space together and really feeling into this texture of this energy that is surrounding us. And I think often when we're designing spaces or, you know, whether that's having a dinner with friends or, you know, putting on an event, whatever it might be, I think we we don't think about that enough, about what is the energy that we're calling in to the space. You know, what is what is the intention of what we're creating and what space are we creating from what is the space within us because that also adds to the physical space that we're in and the physical collaboration that is going to happen and is going to unfold and I always like to think about the third space as the space that is always around us that is always guiding us in connection and it's either drawing us in, asking us to lean in, or perhaps he's asking us to lean out and, and step out. And I think with my personal practice and the work that I do, it's beginning to understand, you know, where is it, where is it safe within this space, this third space of being in connection with others? Where Where is that safety? Where is that sense of belonging? Where is that sense of home? And again, what does that what does that feel like? Which has led me on to really exploring this question through kind of like a newsletter format of textures of home and understanding, you know, home is more than a physical space. It's more than the bricks and mortars. And often we're finding home in other people. We're finding home in things because we're seeing a part of ourselves being reflected back. So the third space for me is is that constant communion that is always speaking to us, but yet we might not have built a practice where we can be listening. And I think often people describe that third space as a, I always hear like, you know, the vibe wasn't right, like, you know, right, when people yeah. have gone on a date or my an interview, was... my gut was saying this. Um, and often... What, when people are describing the vibe, they're describing the vibration. And when people talk about emotions, emotions is energy in motion. So when you've stepped out of whatever physical space that might be, you're either feeling really excited or you're feeling really disconnected, you're feeling really numb. Whatever you're feeling when you come out of a space isn't just the physical space is also about what people leave in a space and that is to do with what do people think about how are people feeling about themselves what's this inner conversation that we're having with ourselves and again what is the shape that we show up in a space 
And I remember saying to you when we connected the other day about, mm. you know, commercial spaces. And sometimes I'll do my own field work and I'll just go and sit in a space like Box Park or some other c commercial spaces just to see what is what is really happening here. So we're thinking that these spaces are spaces of connection, but what type of connection? What level of connection? And just noticing how are people really feeling when they're in this space? What is the texture of this space? What is happening here in this third space? Mm. It's fascinating to think of because you think of those spaces being something which are championed and they have a lot of value, of course. But if we think about creative and cultural industries and practitioners in that space and the uh, the who it affects that I think really interesting that energy and motion idea and certainly something which I think you often see is the um, maybe has something like a word like excitement getting excited about something um, doesn't implicitly mean positive things right and when you go to somewhere like box park you can feel a lot of excitement but that can often be quite dangerous and quite volatile and I think when something like a creative process is in motion oftentimes you can get really amped up and all that but then it's the classic thing of the the hangover after it's all done you know when you work on a project for a really long time and you've put so much of yourself that 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 home you've created a home inside of a piece of work and then you have to give it away and then you're back in that place maybe questioning why did i ever do any of those things or who um who owns this now like or, or you know those kind of deep questions which i think in a really fast-paced energy and motion volatile world like developing product for places like a box park you can kind of probably get lost in those energies right and uh, not absolutely. really sure where you are in that yeah absolutely and i think again when it comes down to to value and for purpose and you know wealth as well like what is the measurement of of value mm. in spaces like this what is what is the exchange that we receive when we're when we're pouring out when we're giving and there's this practice that i have which is again using movements not that you can see but yeah it's like <laughs> this when we're giving our energy what does that feel like versus when we're calling it in it has two very different tempos and and, and textures from giving to receiving and when we're always giving so much of ourselves when it gets to that letting go of something that we've put so much love and so much of ourselves into we can feel so depleted so how do we how do we find balance yeah and no, I, I don't know many creative practitioners with an abundance of balance um they might be abundant in terms of their creative capital and their, um, in terms of what they can distribute and, and and how well they're regarded you talk there about um, likes and plays <clears throat> which are unfortunate maybe measures or not complete measures they have worth but i wonder in terms of that you know certainly um i just read a book uh, uh four thousand weeks um which is by a guy called what well, let me check the name oliver berkman yeah um and it was really i felt in reading it uh, as the reader in terms of being personally addressed it did make me think about the, the stages in my life where i felt sort of time management poor uh, resource poor in that regard and how maybe when I was younger I sought just fix after fix after fix to try to get to a place where it felt I was on top of that idea and how recently I have lent into not perfectly 
but that sort of limitedness, that finite nature of, of what you can do. Um, and of course, this book does give tools which can help you, and there's nothing wrong with those tools. But as you say, that, that sort of disconnect where your body is telling you, you know, we, we don't have any more, but your mind's like whirling and whirling. You haven't been able to stop. You, you know, your, your screen time's out of control, all these things. You know, I really sense that we're hurtling towards a point where so many, certainly creative and cultural industries, professionals are just burn out or nothing. Um, and I wonder like the long tail of that, you know, might create really great work, but in terms of longevity and happiness and community, and as you said, that third space, it's just not, not being tended to in the same way. Right. Mm, it's not, I mean, there's so many thoughts that are just running through my head right <laughs> now, but I feel like just to, just to go back on your point about likes and engagement and metrics I was having this session with my mentor last week and I was talking to him about the exact same thing and he said to me that when you're valuing your work through metrics, it's going to kill your creativity. And it was such a huge moment for me because that's when I recognised, oh shit, that's when I feel like I'm running on empty. That's when I notice... I'm actually working from a space of scarcity rather than a rather than a space of abundance. I'm actually measuring my value based on a metric that is made to make me feel like I'm not enough and what I'm doing is not enough. And I think that's also part of the the burnout. Why a lot of creatives feel burnout because we we're creating to be validated, creating to be seen, creating to be accepted. And I often think about how much energy do we pour into measuring ourselves with the metrics, with the engagement, the likes, the saves, all of that, the comments. And what would actually happen if we kind of, I call it noise, you know, all the things that are around us that actually pull us away from the practice. What would actually happen if we, if we could rise above that noise and we could create from a place of abundance, recognising that we have everything that we need and we are just creating for joy, for joy's sake, rather than creating to, to be validated, that we are enough and we validate ourselves. We're alive, we're breathing, we have eyesight, we have hands. You have a piece of paper and you have a pen. And I think... Also in that frame of mind of, of scarcity, we, we put the blame on, I don't have the right computer, I don't have the right camera, and we, we blame the tools. So even in that, it's like we get caught up in not having, not having enough, not having the right tools when actually we have everything that we need, we need. Yeah. Yeah, and I think about the social and cultural factors of that, and you think about, say, certain industries or certain sectors in this uh, creative and cultural industries which are incredibly dominated by middle upper class folks. Um, and you can see that where would they say, well, you know, we should invest in education more and, and those things are incredibly important. I think it's, it's worth a lot of energy. But I do think there's this kind of socio-cultural or psychosocial thing in the sense of, as you talked about there, like how can we, how can we create that feeling of abundance and that thimos and that self-worth if throughout your whole existence in terms of your norms, your values, the class system, et cetera, you're being constantly felt to feel lesser than 
or you know struggling against the tide or, or as you said as we talked about uh, a couple of times before that idea of it being a transactional thing every every product you make is or your engagement with the infrastructure that supports you is saying post about us so we look like this you know signaling and you go okay cool but you know the, the canon of my work has nothing to do with that infrastructure if i could build my own infrastructure i would i'd, I'd let all of this go but i have to play in this system and I think that's that sort of, you know, it's the argument, I guess, in many ways for a, a lighter touch um, approach for politics in the sense of, you know, a non-playing referee, you know, set the guardrails, create the system and the rules, but don't put too much of a thumb down on the scale one way or the other, because you'll probably have quite an inefficient or bias or uh, heuristics um, approach, which isn't... Uh, isn't optimal, but I think I, w I just wonder whether or not, or from your perspective, like in terms of um, somatics as a remedy for those issues, in terms of that feeling in the body, how how can it be used to address those kind of challenges? What are the what are the things I guess in an elementary way that you, when you first approach this with people, are the most revelatory for them and the things that they seem to get the most out of? Mm, I love what you were just saying about somatics being a remedy because I often view it like that it's a it's the balm that we we all need because we've all got wounds and we've got different levels of ailments that we're all carrying around and in my world the way that i kind of merge somatics and creating texture constellations asking the right questions and also bringing in a lot of dharmic wisdom into the space. And I think the richness of the work that I, I do and the way that I hold space is informed by, yes, the somatics, but all of those threads in that space. And I notice so many shifts with clients when, you know, I might ask them, what is the barrier that you're facing right now? Or, you know, how can this be easy? especially when it's with barriers and then some people find it really difficult to actually find the words, find the language and to articulate this is what it feels like, right. even if I ask them to come into the body. So I ask them, you know, when they're looking at the texture tables, already their body is being swayed towards maybe the green gem that I have, this paperweight crystal, it might be a spiral on the table. And just noticing how their body is moving towards a certain object or a texture. And then I ask them to pick up the object. And then I ask them the same question again. And it's like a whole <laughs> like magical kaleidoscope mind map that then starts unfolding. So then that's like the next part of the process is that sometimes language is really limited. And I think also when... English is also your second language and you, you speak multiple languages. Sometimes questions get lost in translation. Whereas when you have like a physical object, you have something that you're holding. It's noticing what does this barrier feel like in my hand? Like, does it feel heavy? Does it feel light? What does it feel like when it's up towards my face versus what does it feel like when it's far away? So when we're using objects and we're bringing in play, is helping people to find their own solutions through improvisation, through spontaneity, through 
feeling through noticing my body is swaying towards picking up this cup right now and I'm just gonna I'm gonna just pick it up so also understanding that it doesn't need to make logical sense but the body knows trusting the body's wisdom in moving towards feeling and holding and making that body-mind connection through through play. Uh, one of the interesting concepts that I think maybe interlinks a little bit with the lead-in to this tool being necessary, I don't know if you know, like, memetic theory? No, I don't that? know. It's a guy called René Girard, and it's this idea of sort of, um, I think the original thesis was uh, mimesis, was this idea that art, sort of imitates life life art and it's how they sees kind of common threads through all work um but the idea that there's kind of mimetic desire that you sort of desire the objects of a model in society which is something which you're someone you're aspiring to they uh, seek objects of worth whether they're worth their uh, desire or not and you have that mimetic rivalry both trying to kind of funnel towards this whether it's a, a status thing or whatever it might be and I think that's often something that when I sort of learned about that idea and thought about its practical implication in terms of creative and cultural industries and what you're talking about here in terms of somatics is that journey that many people get onto where they get to that end point, get that thing, and it just has no resonance with them at all. And again, when you even talk about the object, it's like I don't, I've never owned a Rolex, but you know, if you wanted that and you finally wear it, there's probably like a little window of time where you think this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me, uh, and the heaviness of it and the craftsmanship, there's, there's a lot of worth there. But then it's what are you applying to the object, which maybe is misguided and not true. Um, and thinking of that in terms of creative and cultural industries in the process of making a product, trying to problem solve for society, whether it's yeah a service or a tool which has a problem that it's trying to solve, or you're just making artistic work to express how you feel about the world, Oftentimes that end result can feel like the a poor imitation of what you felt in your heart and your mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm chuckling because I'm also like, this is something that I also explored. Right. Uh, we should just get my mentor on here because he's amazing. Well, please, <laughs> yeah. let's, that's, maybe we do together, live <laughs> yeah, mentoring. Yeah, he's amazing. And it's, it's something that I've personally struggled with as well. And I think anyone who, who starts anything, whether it's, you know, a business whether it's just you know having an idea and bringing something to life and what i've learned a lot this year is actually the the destination is a distraction you know when we get so fixated on i need this group program to be like this i need the rolex to 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 be like this we actually miss the beauty and the aliveness of what is emerging which is the process Right, so we get so fixated on like it has to be like this because this is what it's like in my mind, and this is how I'm gonna feel once I wear the Rolex. We actually lose complete sight. We we get completely lost. So now I view anything that I'm creating as it doesn't really matter what shape or form it takes. It's about what is the essence of what I'm creating and how alive is this. And I notice when I'm getting too attached on the destination or the colour palettes or whatever it might be and, you know, however that shows up, again, it's just a tuning back to the body of how am I feeling? What am I noticing as I've just spent two hours deciding on whether it's this symbol or this font or whatever it might be? 
and noticing actually I feel even more disconnected than when I actually started. It's taken me away from being in the process. I'm not in flow anymore. Right. So again, the practice with clients, but also my personal practice is, is really understanding, is this making me, is this pulling me away? And again, it's like, how am I feeling? Am I feeling drained? Am I feeling heavy? Does it feel like there's often, like there's like claws that are in my in my shoulders, in, in my back, and it feels like there's weight on those claws because of the sessions that I've done before personally, right? So I, I kind of have a a visual vocabulary that I can refer back to of like, ah, this is what is happening. Right. And this is happening because I've got so focused on it being a specific way. I haven't allowed the process to flow as it wants to. I'm trying to still control. I'm trying to fix. I'm trying to curate it in the way that I want it to be rather than just saying, I surrender. You do your thing. It's a beautiful way to think about it though, isn't it? And is there, in terms of what people outside think and feel about this and uh, in terms of the, being able to have a framework to allow you to a notice that and action it are there uh, are there simple ways to 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 experience that and be able to go okay cool i know that's happening now this is what i should do yeah i think first of all it's building a, a grounding practice so building a sense of and i do this every morning and i try to do it when i when i go to bed sometimes it's it's, yeah, it's easier said than done, but in the morning it's so important because it it helps me to stay grounded throughout the day and just notice what, what is happening. And I think once you get a sense of what does feeling centred, what does feeling grounded mean for you, you can start to identify when you're feeling off, when you're being pulled off. But if you're always feeling pulled off, you're not really going to know what it feels like to feel grounded it's like this seesaw. So it's first starting with a grounding practice and a very simple way of doing that is if you've got grass, if you've got any greenery near you, take your socks off, place your feet on the ground and just feel the ground as, as clay. Some of my clients like to do it as the ocean. So the, the floor is the ocean. And all you're doing is you're, you're just taking in some deep breaths, some deep long exhales, and any moment you feel some tension or tightness in the body, you're just noticing where that tension or that tightness is and you're just seeing, can I bring some softness? One client loves doing um, waves, so we, we bring some softness. Can we bring a wave of softness and ease into that part of where the tension is? And each time you're doing that with each breath, you're just releasing that into the ground or releasing that into the ocean. You can do it five minutes, then start building it up, you know, six minutes, seven minutes. And, and that's the beauty of the practice is not about, I've got to sit there half an hour every morning, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Also just what feels good. Another way is you just, I'm just sitting on this chair right now, just taking a moment just to notice where feels good in the body, right. where feels warm, where feels safe, where feels home. That's something I love asking, where, where is home for me? It's like, that's my heart space. Okay, let me just take some breaths. Let me just see if I can take a longer, deeper breath into my heart space. And you start noticing when you when you start building the practice, and you can do it for seven days, and I'll check in with you. What does it feel like to be connected to the ground, being connected to the body, being connected to the breath? 
and the more you build it, it's like any practice, you then start noticing the nuances. So when I'm rushing throughout the day, like this morning, right. <laughs> I got on the completely the wrong train and had to go around the houses to, to get to somewhere which would have been so easy. If I hadn't done my practice, I probably would have been really pissed off at myself. But I noticed that, okay, we've made a mistake, hippie. And even just noticing, like, the language that we use when we make, like, small mistakes like this. So normally, if I wasn't in this practice maybe five years ago, I would have been like, oh, you idiot, da 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 the narrative popping off. But when you're building a practice, you recognise, again, what is the language that I'm using to speak to myself when, I'm, when I've made a mistake, when I've got on the train, wrong train. And just finding, finding that balance, and I think that's what people are missing. They don't know how to, how to find that. So once you find that, it's like that centre, that corners, when you're feeling off, you know, sometimes people say, like, oh, I'm just having a bit of an off day, I'm feeling a little bit sticky, or I don't know what it is, but just can't quite put my finger on it. So all these feelings that we have, when it's feeling like that, that's usually we're feeling off, like we're off balance. So when you can understand what off feels like and you've built the practice of feeling centred and grounded, you also know what do I need to give myself in order for me to ah, feel right. grounded and feel connected. So I always say start with the root, build your roots, build them deep, and then you can start understanding ah, what I need to give myself and where I'm feeling that heaviness or where, you know, sometimes it's with creative work, it's this texture of speed. Like I need to do this really quickly because it's really important that I need to eat lunch and then the narrative goes off and you even notice your thoughts are going really, really fast. So even just becoming aware of, ah, that's me rushing. I'm feeling a bit chaotic right now. I'm feeling a little bit unbalanced. All right, let me just take a breath and let me just do a practice five minutes and see. Let's, let me see. And that's, that's the beauty of this is that your own direct experience is your wisdom. It's not somebody else telling you you feel like this. You begin to notice, as you were saying about the patterns, you begin to notice your own patterns and your own textures of feeling grounded, feeling off, feeling excited, feeling sad, whatever it is. And for me, it's helped me to not just articulate and express, but really to to feel. And I notice, like, when I look around my personal space, it's like, there's a reason why I'm drawn to all these objects. There's a reason I'm drawn to, like, pattern and colour. And I recently found out that I'm a kinesthetic learner. And oh, I was cool. like, oh, yeah, obviously. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Post-rationalise, everything yeah. makes sense. So it's also, yeah, it starts giving you an understanding of where you're at in your life and why you're doing what you're doing. And I think even with purpose, I think a lot of people feel disconnected right now because they're like, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I should be doing. And in my experience, it's what is life's purpose for you and are you open to letting life move through you? And I think so often we're trying to control and trying to grasp and we want things done in a certain way, you know. But yeah, what's the what's it doing in terms of serving you? Mm. Mm. <clears throat> and it makes me, you know, back to that root point of creating kind of room for healing. 
again, that's such a simple thing. And of course, many people can go, I don't have five minutes, um, you, you know, valid, but also not valid, not that valid, really. No. Um, and it's a call to, I guess, individual contributors, founders, whatever it might be to say in your company formation, as you build your team culture and way of being, it's certainly as creative practitioners when the source is what you're trying to tap into. And that's an incredibly uh, slippery thing, right? It's not, you can't pin that down. Um, if you, if you've got a team and they're feeling those things, that five minutes can be the step change to something incredible, but it requires that presence of mind to be able to see the value in that quiet and steady. Yeah. And I, th I mean, I always say when I do workshops with corporations who might find this stuff a bit woo, -woo <laughs> is, are you curious? Are you open? And I think even those words, people are like, oh, I'm really curious. I'm really open. But it's like, are you really? Like, do you want to just be fed with information or do you actually want to experience, do you want to feel a shift in your experience? And five minutes is all it takes. And I think often, again, even with that, people are so, I think people sometimes are scared to feel something different and something new because they're so used to feeling something that's so familiar and safe. Yeah, and it's prescribed uh, things over your whole life. I think that's something that, in conversation now, I'm getting to sort of my early 30s. So many of my friends, are, whether they're starting families or buying homes and all these things, and they've got to the point when they've done it, and then they have this reflexive moment when they go, what, what was I actually doing any of this stuff for? Um, was it what I wanted? And I think we don't ask those those questions probably well, enough. Yeah, and I think back to your earlier, earlier point, I think, yes, these somatic tools definitely, you know, healing on, on all the levels, but... Also, I think we need to be having more enriching conversations. We need to be having courageous conversations where we're asking the right questions. And I think for anyone who is in a creative practice, starting a creative practice, whatever it might be, is also building that community around you. Yeah, definitely. And having those, I call them anchors of support. So when you're having your wobbles that you've, you've got people who are also not on that unconventional you know they're also an unconventional path and they're figuring it out and anyone that is in this kind of realm again there's a different quality you know the corporate life that I used to have it used to have such a um, the measure of success was speed you know how quickly can we scale up move fast all this kind of stuff this work has a completely different quality and texture of speed is uh, I can't remember who the original quote is, but in Adrienne Marine Brown's book, she talks about the speed of trust. And this work has a certain pacing, has a certain quality. And I think in order for us to build room for healing, it's also about building community, bringing in the right people, and also talking to people who are not in the same pathways or fields like I think about the work that I do and you know the people around me also inform what I'm creating and how I'm showing up and those people come from backgrounds of architecture from uh, baking from working in diversity and inclusion and the richness is for me is is, is in the smallness and the richness is in 
the overlap of bringing in different voices, different people and learning from each other and how can we build and co-create. Because I think if I was just talking to people in the somatics world or the healing world, like we, we need to be having conversations where there's churning happening, where there's grappling, where there's, where I think healthy conflict, where we can respect and understand each other's points of view, but also it's like, how can we, how can we mesh together? How can we grow a garden together? Right. I agree. Yeah. And I think maybe in a slightly provocative way, <laughs> if we think about a, a kind of, um, I don't know, idioms of our time, I actually think in that, in the book, I mentioned the, the 4,000 um, weeks book, he actually I think it's Warren Buffett that it's, it's uh, attested to. But he tells the story of when he got on a private plane and I think the pilot came back and asked him, um, Mr. Buffett, you're so successful. Like, how do you focus on so many things and achieve so much stuff? And his response was, um, I think you should focus on flying the plane. <laughs> and that idea of, you know, you get so lost in this, <laughs> you know, he's like, tell me what stocks to pick. And he's like, not now, yeah. you know. But it's something that I think, at a broader point about us not presencing and being able to go, you know, a list of 25 things I want to achieve in my life. And I think in that book, it, it kind of accurately says, you know, you should probably, probably focus on three or five of those at most, um, realistically what you can achieve. But when we think about, and, and provocative, I think, by nature of the time we're in and how this com this point will be dated by the time we even make it, by the speed of things. But when you talk about community, and therapeutics and healing but we are also using things like generative ai and all these really complex tools which i have started seeing the odd article talk about people using them for support therapeutics community and i wonder whether you you know you mentioned there about that those supports those anchors can can digital tools when you think about it from some somatics in a sense it's supposed to be about the body there's no physical you know, you can anthropomorphize an AI, but it's not at the end of the day. Do you feel like by people naturally leaning into those tools, that says more about the issue of how we're not connected? Yeah, absolutely. I think mm. if people are thinking that AI is, like you said, the remedy for disconnection, it just goes to show you how this wound is seeping. Mm. And again, it comes back down to that third space and... You know, my view is that we're actually, we're divine sparks in human bodies, right? Wow. So we're always healing in relation to one another. You know, whether the, whether you're having a conversation with your therapist, whether you've got a somatic session with me, whether we're in a conversation like this, we're, we're seeing parts of ourselves being reflected in each other and we're learning, we're growing, we're designing together. And there's something that's very alive, very present right here. Yeah. We cannot see it, but we can feel it, you know? And I think it also, I think this might be a conversation for another day, <laughs> but I just feel like no, there's yeah. such a, yeah, I think, I think tech, again, it's a tool, it has its place, but to put all of that onto AI and whatever it is, I think it also shifts the responsibility. Mm of the work that needs to be done. And I think when it comes to certain systems, people are people are talking about, you know, we need to change this from some systems, we need to do this. And it's like, no, the system needs to be burnt down so we can actually regroup and we can reconstruct and we can build together because that's what community is to me. It's like we're learning together and we're, we're building and we're growing 
and that mesh is happening. It's not, it's not a hierarchy, like a triangle, but it's a circle. As, as a collective, we're all standing here. And it's like no one has power over, or it's like, sorry, it's about us having power with each other, like holding hands. But like, I'm feeling what you're saying. Yeah. And sometimes language is the barrier to, you know, it's, it's, it's how we communicate more often, but it's probably the most, um, yeah, it's not, it's suboptimal in many ways, right? We don't have the dictionary in our brain, pull the perfect word, you get it, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, you feel what I'm talking about. Completely. Yeah. You get it. And I think we need more of us. Like imagine what would happen if we both put our mates into a space. What could we create? What kind of conversations would we have? So I think, yeah, we need, when we're talking about spaces for healing, I don't just mean, you know, spaces with like therapy rooms and let's bring in puppies and pet puppies. I'm talking about actually bringing in bodies, bodies of culture to have conversations, to hash things out, to create, to eat together and and to share our lived experiences and to share, you know, where we're at, what we're grappling with. And, you know, often when we think about therapy or coaching, the people that probably need most of this support are people who do not even have access to this kind of support. Right. And that's, again, another tick in the column of these clusters is being able to agglomerate activity and support and go okay maybe not everyone has the opportunity to access your um your practice or, or practitioners all the time but maybe they can interface with it in a shared experience and and also maybe just not even a, in a therapeutic sense but what the therapy leans into naturally because i think those tools oftentimes in the well in the dialogue that i've seen it is they'll say you know we can insert technology into the early uh, elementary stage in a sort of primitive way but it gets over the initial hurdle of having nothing and of course in the developing world of course if they can have tools like this where they don't have access to even the most basic things this is incredibly uh, transformative potentially but again i feel like by inserting it in that foundational thing it sort of it sort of spoils the rest of the process if anything, it doesn't buttress the idea that we're going to then spend loads of deep time thinking about all these things because you know how it works in, in a pragmatic sense. People do the elementary thing and then they walk away and go, oh, yeah, I learned a lot from that, but don't reinforce it over time. And, and I think that's also what part of the perpetuating problem is, is that we don't have a culture here which is supportive of building practice something that we can return to. So yeah, we, yeah there's, a, there's a rise of like people doing yoga and going on wellness retreats and, and whatever it is, but actually building this in workplaces, building this in um, schools. And another part of my mission is to actually build these kind of practices with cultural institutions, with art galleries, because I also feel like public spaces are places where people can go and get inspired and, like culture to me is a, the, the things that we we get to connect with for free mm. where we don't have to part money to experience. So I would love to do more of these practices and hold more of these spaces in galleries where it's accessible for people from all different walks of life to really experience this without, you know, labelling it as this is this and this is this, but right. just come and join this experience and, just be curious, just be open and see what happens. Because I think when people go to art galleries and um, exhibitions, I think sometimes, yes, we're going for the for the art, definitely. 
But again, part of my field work, I'll just go and sit in spaces just to see what is what is happening. What is happening in the space? How are people interacting with the space? And I've, I'm noticing that people go to these spaces also to slow down. Sure. To, to connect with their friends and, you know, they've seen the art and then is continuing that connection in the calf or a part in the tape where there's the ramp and you can just sit and hang. So how can we create healing in those kind of spaces as well and open up that dialogue and also recognising that I can't just do that by myself as sure. one person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all need to play our part in this thing. Yeah. So, I mean, incredible incredibly beautiful sentiment and uh, food for thought there. So, I mean, in terms of, I mean, thank you so much for expressing uh, your viewpoint and all of this stuff and your, your deep knowledge of the, the area. And I, I hope it's something that people listening see as a, as a, as maybe a first step into that. And, and maybe they've done similar styles of work, but not maybe fully committed. And I think as places grow, physical places grow, Again, that third space, that mental third space is something which feels like a garden unattended to. And I do think we need to work on that in an age of, as you said, sort of um, abundance of distraction and, and, and mental health, health issues related to those kind of things. So really grateful to have you on to talk about this stuff. If, if anyone wants to continue to learn about your practice, yourself, where can they find you and what are the best places to go? Yeah, you can find me at www.ysm8.co.uk you can drop me an email um, punam at ysm at ysm8.co.uk you can find us on insta underscore ysm8 um, yeah just drop me a line I'd love to I'd love chatting to new people and connecting and, and learning more about other people beautiful that's, a, that's what it's all about here for sure well we'll put the link uh, in the show notes for anyone um, to, to check out all this stuff but thank you so much for, for coming and taking part Thank you so much for having me. I feel so full. Thank what, you. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.